Welcome to Faith Baptist Church, Great Village, where we believe in the truth of the gospel, building of community, and engaging in the mission of Christ. We hope you enjoy this week's message as our pastors share from God's Word. Uh, My name is Pastor Josh Fillmore, and I'm so excited to be here preaching again for the second week in a row. This is an awesome privilege. Um, Isn't it so great to have a senior pastor who is passionate about his purpose, who when he talks about the gospel, you see some emotion, you see some excitement, some love for what Jesus Christ has accomplished on our behalf. I am so thankful for that. This is going to be an exciting Sunday. It is already, right? We have some baptisms after the service. We have a barbecue after the service. We had Lord's table this morning. I don't know if you realize, but the place is pretty packed this morning. I was standing at the back because there aren't that many empty seats with all the adults and kids in here. That's exciting. Do you realize that the children's ministry at this church is looking for space? How cool is that? I mean, I can't think of a better problem. That is awesome. Awesome. Is this a church that gets excited? I think this is going to be an exciting Sunday. I think every Sunday should be an exciting Sunday because we should come expecting God to do something incredible. Do you believe that? I believe that God can heal the brokenhearted. I believe that God is hope for the helpless. I believe that Jesus Christ is the answer to every issue that society faces today. Amen? Amen. Amen. I brought a few things with me today, so I'm going to grab them here. Um, I've always been interested by this lamp, and I think I got it as a gift, I don't know, 20 years ago maybe? Almost 20 years And the thing that really intrigues me about this lamp, if you can't tell, is that it's not just any ordinary lamp. The thing I love about this lamp is that it has pressed the boundaries and pushed the limits on what a lamp is capable of. (laughs) And I just want to demonstrate to you. So when this lamp was being created, the uh, engineers went back to the drawing board and they said, how can we push the bounds, open the imaginations of people everywhere as to what a lamp can really accomplish? So they went back to the drawing board, they cleaned the slate, they started with a whole new structure and design, and here's what they came up with right here. So can I show you what it does? Do you want to see? Are you intrigued? You wonder, what is this guy doing? They went back to the drawing board and they designed this lamp so that it will hold CDs. How cool is that? In my room, when I was in middle school, I had this thing filled with CDs. And I thought it was the coolest thing. So it holds CDs. And I started thinking to myself, why would I stop there? If this thing can hold CDs, what else is it capable of, right? Like, why not just press the bounds even further? What is the potential of this piece of furniture? It's endless, right? The possibilities are endless. So let me talk about some of the things that I came up with here. Books. If it can hold CDs, it can hold books. And I should just take a moment. CDs is a term that's short for compact disc. 
Uh, cars used to be made with a CD player. Laptops used to be made with a CD player. A Walkman. Everybody remember the Walkman? Does anybody still use a CD Walkman? Yes, awesome. Hold on, keep it going. Someday those are gonna be worth some money, I bet. Books, why not books? I think it'll hold a book here. You look at that, I didn't test this and it works, I'm thankful. And then I thought, why stop there? Some of this is true, some of this is me exaggerating the truth, you realize that, right? But I did, I used this for multiple purposes when I was in middle school. You know, you got some dishes in your room, you snuck some sweets from the kitchen, you don't want your mom to find out, you know, so why not just set them in the storage rack here? Uh, down here, see there's, there's bigger openings at the bottom that hold more space. Look at that, I didn't test that either and it's working, I'm thankful. And you know, when you're a teenager, you've always got electronics, you've always got video games, you're carrying that big TV with the big back end on it, you remember that? <laughs> to your bedroom so that you can play video games. And I realized it can hold electrical cords too. Check that out. And if it can hold electrical cords, it can hold the nylon rope that I used for all kinds of things when I was in middle school. And uh, it can also hold um, I just loaded a dirt bike onto the back of a trailer this morning for a friend, and we used ratchet straps. So why couldn't it hold ratchet straps? Are you with me? Look at the functionality. I, I don't think you're grasping how incredible <laughs> this is. So it can hold ratchet straps, and you know, sometimes when you're in middle school, I don't know if this is true for you, but you have dirty laundry, right? Anybody have dirty laundry in here? Maybe it's just me. I'm going to air out my dirty laundry here on the stage of the church. My apologies. But look at that. What do you think? Right? And it, it works as a light. If I could find the switch on, it's somewhere in there. And then I brought this other lamp here. Try not to stand on Andy's equipment, my apologies. And then we just have a regular, ordinary lamp that also sat. I think this one was in my sister's room. And it works, simple as that. You know, at some point, the lamp ceases to be a lamp, doesn't it? It just becomes a piece of furniture for storage, like a shelving unit. And when you push the bounds of potential and possibility, you start to lose focus on the purpose of what it was originally intended for. Do you see where we're going? And it gets to the point where it's so cluttered and it's so busy and its schedule is so full and it's so unavailable and it's so hard to reach that even if you could find the switch, it would be easier just to turn on the light in the room. So the lamp ceases to be used for its purpose. I just want this to be an image that we catch on to. Can I be honest in church this morning? Is that okay? Are we a church that values authenticity? <laughs> that rope won't hold much, I'll be honest. I think we tried to tow tubes with it a few weeks ago and it broke. It, it won't do much. But can I be honest? Going through the Old Testament on a Sunday is hard. 
Let me tell you, last week was three chapters. This week is two chapters. The amount of content in two chapters of the Old Testament is crazy. Like the things that we could talk about today, we could talk about relationships and sex. We could talk about significance. We could talk about insecurity. We could talk about leadership. We could talk about all kinds of stuff. The limits are endless on what you could talk about. And sometimes it's difficult to find out what you should talk about, right? Sometimes it's easy to focus on all the little things that come out in the passage, and I, I like to be a detailed guy to find all the opportunities and possibilities that a passage holds, and it just ends up getting cluttered, and I had 13 pages of notes, and what am I going to say in 30 minutes to this congregation on a Sunday? And sometimes we miss out on the big idea. Just wait one second here. The big idea. <laughs> right? So let's turn to 1 Kings chapter 11. We're going to be in 1 Kings chapter 11 and chapter 12. I just felt like God wanted us to focus on, in the passage this morning, living out of purpose instead of living for potential and possibility. That's what we're going to be talking about this morning. 1 Kings chapter 11. Let's start in a word of prayer. Father God, we just thank you so much for the opportunity to open your word this morning. And God, we're going to cover a lot of ground this morning. We have a busy morning, an exciting morning. God, we praise you so much for your word, for what you're going to accomplish in hearts and lives even today. God, we thank you and we leave all these things in your hands. In Jesus' name, amen. 1 Kings chapter 11, verse 1, here's what it says. Now King Solomon loved many foreign women. Along with the daughter of Pharaoh, Moabite, Ammonite, Edomite, Sidonian, and Hittite women. That's a lot. From the nations concerning which the Lord had said to the people of Israel, You shall not enter into marriage with them, neither shall they with you. For surely they will turn away your heart after their gods. Solomon clung to these in love. Don't miss the language here. He clung to these in love. He had just for information's sake, 700 wives who were princesses and 300 concubines. And his wives turned away his heart. No wonder, one against a thousand. I mean, come on, the odds aren't really in your favor. <laughs> Verse four, for when Solomon was old, his wives turned away his heart after other gods and his heart was not wholly true to the Lord his God. Solomon lost sight of his purpose. Every time I look at that, I get blinded and there's just a dark space here. Because Solomon was all about potential and possibility and pushing the limits of his position and his purpose. Solomon, you remember when he first started out as king? Nick Stinson preached that sermon on this stage just three weeks ago. In 1 Kings chapter 3 and verse 9, Solomon comes before God and he says, God, I'm your servant. I need your help. I need a, a wisdom. I need your wisdom. I need a wise and understanding heart so that I can see between good and evil, so that I can lead your people your way in your purpose for their life. That's where Solomon started at ground zero as king. That was his purpose. 
You know, the name Solomon actually comes from the Hebrew word shalom. And probably many of you realize that the word shalom means peace, contentment, to be at peace, to be satisfied. And if you remember Jalen's message from just a few weeks ago, Solomon was anything but satisfied and at peace. He pushed the limits of his potential in pleasure, in extravagance, in architecture. He pushed the limits to try and find satisfaction. And the moral of the story was he would never find satisfaction in pushing the limits on his potential because the purpose was that God had placed eternity in his heart. Solomon had 1,000 women, foreign women. And let me just say a word about discrimination here for a moment. The issue was not race. The issue was religion. The issue wasn't race. The issue was religion. If you read the passage, that's what it says. Don't marry foreign women because... They will turn your heart to their gods. The issue wasn't race. The issue was religion. Here's the truth. God loves every race. God loves every gender. God loves every age. God loves every class. Jesus died for every race. Jesus died for every person on the face of the planet. The truth is, when you think about it, we're the foreigners to every character we read about in the Bible. Have you thought about that? you're not going to find Caucasian Canadians in the Bible. They're just not there. We're talking about Solomon. We're talking about King David. These are Israelites. These are Jewish gentlemen from the Middle East. We're the foreigners. But the truth of the gospel is in Galatians chapter 3 that because of Christ, we're all one. We're all brought into the same family. There is now therefore no Jew or Greek. No slave or free, no male or female, because we are all one in Christ Jesus. Isn't that incredible? Because of Christ, there is room in the family of God for everyone and anyone. Praise God. Solomon lost sight of his purpose, and he went after his potential. Pastor Michael Todd from Transformation Church made this abundantly clear to me. If you don't live out of your purpose and you chase after your potential, you're going to be one poor, confused person. If you don't live for your calling and instead you strive after what could be, you're going to lose sight of who you should be real quick. Pretty soon Solomon was stretched so many directions, he lost his purpose. And maybe you're there this morning. Maybe life taught you, like it did for many of the millennial generation, that if you dream it, you can achieve it. If you set your mind to it, you can do it. Be whoever you want to be. There's no wrong answers. If you shoot for the moon, even if you miss, you'll land among the stars, right? That was on my classroom wall in grade six. And I think it's those sort of sayings and that sort of mindset that you can be whoever you want to be that has really got a lot of people confused and stuck and missing out on who they're truly called to be. Solomon pursued so many different things and opportunities and potentialities and possibilities that he forgot the fact that he started his reign as a servant before God, asking for God's wisdom to lead God's people God's way. 
When you practice sin, God will pursue your soul. And I don't say that to sound scary. And I want to demonstrate what I mean as we continue. Verse 11, here's what God thought of everything that Solomon had done. Therefore, the Lord said to Solomon in verse 11, Since this has been your practice, this wasn't just a one-time slip-up. This wasn't just a lapse in wisdom and making the correct decision. This was his practice. This was his habit. This was his addiction. These were the neurological pathways that were formed in his mind that he could no longer break. Since this has been your practice, you have not kept my covenant and my statutes that I have commanded you. I will surely tear the kingdom from you and I will give it to your servant. When you practice sin, God will pursue your soul. And he does it in three different ways using three different adversaries. So we're going to look at these quickly. This could be a sermon in and of itself. Number one, verse 14, the first adversary. The Lord raised up an adversary against Solomon. Who raised him up? Okay, don't miss that. The Lord raised up an adversary against Solomon. Hadad the Edomite, he was of the royal house in Edom. So what's the name of Solomon's first adversary? Hadad. Hadad. It's like, hey, dad, right? <laughs> Don't forget it. The second adversary, verse 23, God also raised up an adversary to him, Razon, the son of Eliada, who had fled from his master Hadadezer, king of Zobah. And he gathered men about him and became leader of a marauding band. So Solomon's second adversary was? Raisin. I said raisin because it just sounds like raisin. And it just seems weird to say raisin, right? But that's how you can remember it. Raisin. Raisin. Let me tell you a little bit about raisin. His father's name was El Yada. That means El, God. Yada, knows. God knows. Let me paint a little picture. Raisin is a bad kid. He's the type of kid in the supermarket that's laying on his stomach, pounding on the floor, screaming, pulling things off shelves. And if I'm describing your kid, I'm also describing my children at times. So we're all in the same boat together when it comes to parenting. But that's the type of kid Raison was. And when people looked at El Yadah like, what's, what's wrong with your kid with that judgmental? You know when people just look at your child and you're like, okay, yeah, I get it. When they would look at his child and say, what's wrong with your kid? He would say, God knows. <laughs> right? That's what I'm picturing. Razon grew up to be a general in the army of Zoba. And he led a mutiny. This is the kind of guy that Razon is. He leads the mutiny. The group of people that follow him become what is called a marauding band. These guys are rebels, they're outlaws, they're robbers, they're like, I was going to say modern day, but way back in this day, pirates. This is the group of people that we're talking about, and this is Solomon's second adversary. You ready for his third adversary? Verse 26, Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, an Ephraimite of Zareda, a servant of Solomon, a who? Ah, are we piecing it together here? A servant of Solomon. Who is God going to tear away the kingdom from Solomon and give it to? A servant. a servant, okay. Whose mother's name was Zeruiah, a widow, also lifted up his hand against the king. Who was Solomon's third adversary? 
Jeroboam. Man, we are just clicking this morning. I can feel it. This is great. Jeroboam. Jeroboam was from the tribe of Ephraim, which means bandage. Jeroboam was from the town of Zereda, which means bleeding. Jeroboam's mom name was Zeruiah, which means leprosy. Let's put all that together and we get one sad situation. And then it says that Zeruiah was a widow, so his dad died. Jeroboam was the third adversary against Solomon. Can I suggest to you that those roadblocks in your life, those people who step into your life that just bug the life out of you, maybe God has a purpose as to why they're there. I'm not saying God sent them to punish you or to discipline you or because he's a mean God, he just doesn't want you to have too good of a life. I'm saying maybe the people in your life that just frustrate you, that your personalities clash and you just wonder, why do I have to spend time with this person? Maybe those people in your life are to push you and point you and direct you back to God. That's not an easy way to see those people, I'll admit. In theory, that's great. In practice and reality, it's a little harder. But how would that change our perspective as to those people in our lives? Three times, God raises up, God did it. But you might be saying, doesn't the Bible say that if God is for me, who can be against me? Now, why is God raising up an adversary against me? How does that work? God is raising up an adversary because he is for you. God is raising up people in your life who bug you, situations in your life that slow you down to a stop so that you can refocus back to your purpose. God sends situations into our life that just shake us and frustrate us in hopes that some of that clutter would fall off and we would get back to our true purpose and identity. Are you following me? Is this making sense? When you practice sin, God will pursue your soul. Now, can I do a little commercial break here? Remember how I said there's just so much stuff and it's hard to pick just one and I got to stick with the main idea? Well, I'm going to do a little commercial break and this is going to be off the side. No extra charge, okay? Those three adversaries that God raised up actually represent three ways in which God is grabbing the attention of all of humanity everywhere. Let me explain. The first adversary was, hey dad, awesome. Hey dad means son, it could also mean cheering or shouting, and I immediately thought of creation. Psalm 19, the firmament declares the handiwork of God. The sky shouts forth his praise. Day unto day utters speech. Creation is calling us back to God. Every time you stand on a mountaintop, every time you see a sunset, every time you see a baby being born, you have to say, that's a miracle. There is a God. Adversary number two, who was he? Raison. Awesome. I actually couldn't quite remember which name it was. So thank you so much for helping me with that. Raison. He was the guy, the leader of the marauding band, right? No moral character, bad kid. Do you know what his name means? This is funny. Judicious like a judge, like knowing right from wrong. 
except he clearly chose the wrong side. You know that God has stamped his thumbprint on every human being that has walked this planet in the form of a conscience, knowing right from wrong. That didn't happen in an evolutionary process. That's God's thumbprint on your soul, your conscience. Our conscience calls us back to God. Romans 2 says that our conscience bears witness. The law is written on our hearts. Who is the third adversary? Jeroboam. Awesome. Jeroboam means pleading on behalf of the people, speaking the people's cause. He's like a social activist. You remember where he came from? Bandage, bleeding, leprosy, his father dies. And I thought of chaos and calamity. The fact that there is evil and suffering and sickness in this world doesn't prove that God doesn't exist. Instead, it proves the exact opposite. You see, if you can identify evil, you are in turn saying that there is, in fact, good and goodness. So if you see evil in the world, that's not a reason to disprove God. That's a reason that God, in fact, exists. Because who told us what was evil in the first place? If we can identify evil, we have to be able to identify that there is good. Commercial break over. Jeroboam was the adversary who really put an end to Solomon's reign. And it wasn't because he fought Solomon. It wasn't because he snuck into his chamber and took him out. It was because he corroded Solomon from within with insecurity. Have you ever felt insecure? You don't have to raise your hand because I'm pretty sure every hand would be raised in the room. Insecurity robs us of our joy, robs us of our satisfaction. We have to keep chasing stuff. We have to keep chasing all the possibilities and our potential instead of resting and relying in what God has already done for us. Jeroboam corroded Solomon from within with insecurity. Let me tell you how. Jeroboam is a servant in Solomon's palace. Jeroboam was a good worker. Jeroboam was diligent. He had good relationships with the other workers. He was highly valued in the kingdom. And Solomon took notice. This was a good leadership part, point on Solomon's part. To notice potential, to notice leadership potential, to see people who are doing a good job and then advancing them on in the palace, in the kingdom. And that's what he does. He puts him in charge of all the forced labor and he won the hearts of the people. And then one day he's walking in the woods. I think that's, that's a song for a children's TV show that kind of popped into my head. So he was walking in the woods. Zaboomafu. Do you remember that? <laughs> one day he's walking in the woods and Chris and Martin saw something strange. No. He's walking in the woods. He's by himself. He's walking on this trail. And then all of a sudden a prophet shows up and begins tearing his clothes off. I don't know if you've ever been in as awkward a situation as that, but this is where Jeroboam is. He rips his new cloak, it says, into 12 pieces, and he gives 10 of them to Jeroboam. And that signified the fact that God was going to tear the kingdom from Solomon and give 10 of the 12 tribes to Jeroboam. And Solomon finds out, because you know how Solomon responds with insecurity? He tries to kill him. He tries to take him out. I'll tell you about another king who responded in insecurity, Saul. 
David is playing the harp and Saul just has this, oh, the spirit come over him of insecurity and jealousy and he picks up his spear and hurls it at David and that happened multiple times. Jeroboam has to flee because Solomon is so insecure and tries to take his life. And it's crazy how fast Solomon's story comes to an end. This blows my mind. The wisest man in history the most decorated king, the most prosperity, the most peace in everything Israel has ever experienced, their king succumbs to insecurity because he's chasing all of his possibilities and potential. And here's what it says. Verse 41, 1 Kings 11. Now the rest of the acts of Solomon, you can read about them elsewhere. We're not going to list them here. All he did, his wisdom... Are they not written in the book of the Acts of Solomon? And the time that Solomon reigned in Jerusalem over all Israel was 40 years. 40 is the number of testing in the Bible. Solomon failed the test. Solomon slept with his fathers and was buried in the city of David his father, and Rehoboam his son reigned in his place. Just like that, we're done talking about Solomon. Now let's talk about Rehoboam. That was chapter 11. Here's chapter 12. 1 Kings 12, 1. Rehoboam went to Shechem, for all Israel had come to Shechem to make him king, because his father had just passed away. Verse 3, halfway through. And Jeroboam and all the assembly of Israel came and said to Rehoboam, Jeroboam, speaking on behalf of the people's cause, the social activist, pleading on behalf of the people, comes before Rehoboam at his coronation ceremony. Verse 4. Your father, King Solomon, he made our yoke heavy. Now, therefore, lighten the hard service of your father and his heavy yoke on us, and we will serve you. And he said to them, here's Rehoboam's response, go away for three days, then come again to me. So the people went away. It's a new king, a fresh start. His life isn't so cluttered with all of his potential and all the possibilities and all the roads he's gone down and all of his experience. A fresh start. And Rehoboam actually gives a good answer. He says, give me three days to think it over. At least he was clear. At least he was concise. At least he showed the people that I'm putting some thought into this. So here's what he does. He does two things. Do you remember how last week we talked about how God works in the quiet moments? Here's three days right at the start of Rehoboam's kingship where he's just pressed pause on leadership to take a moment to think about his agenda as king and what his purpose is going to be and how he's going to respond to the people. So he does two things. The first one's a really wise thing to do. He goes to Solomon's advisory board. He goes to all of the elderly men who served with Solomon, who gave Solomon good advice, Solomon's counsel. And he says, here's what the people said. They worked too hard for Solomon. How should I respond? And they give him really good advice. Be a servant. Show that you're a servant leader. If you don't lead by example, the people are never going to do what you're not willing to do yourself. That's a good rule of leadership. Be a servant leader and speak good words to them. That's good advice. That's where Solomon was when he started as king. He came before God as a servant. He asked for God's wisdom so that he could lead God's people God's way. And that's what Rehoboam does. 
Rehoboam might work this thing out, all right? But here's the second thing he does. He abandons the counsel of Solomon's advisors. He just throws it to the wind, walks out the door, and instead, he goes to his buds. He goes to his gang. He goes to his squad, his old college roommates. He hangs out with his friends because he knows his friends are going to tell him what he wants to hear, not what he needs to hear. How many people know that the best advice is the advice you don't want to hear? Solomon runs to his... Rehoboam runs to his friends because he knows they're going to tell him what he wants to hear. And here's what they tell him. The people said they don't want to work as hard as they did for your dad. Well, tell them this. My pinky finger is bigger than my dad's thigh. The imagery is kind of funny, isn't it? You were scared of dad. You should be scared of me. You thought my dad pushed the limits? I'm going to push them so much further. And here's the thing. If you don't pick up the pace, if you don't work harder, we're not just going to discipline you with whips like my father did. We're going to discipline you with scorpions. How does that sound? How does that sound like a leader you'd want to follow, right? If you don't work harder, I'm going to throw scorpions on you. That sounds terrible. You know, Rehoboam's name is very similar to Jeroboam. Jeroboam spoke on behalf of the people. His whole purpose and his whole name meant that the people might increase. Rehoboam's name meant that I might increase, grow wider and larger and stronger and faster and higher. And where can my potential take me? Have you ever heard this quote? What parents allow in moderation, kids take in excess. Have you ever found that to be true? Here's what it sounds like. Oh, if your grandmother saw you doing that, she would roll in her grave. <laughs> when I was a boy, we weren't able to go to the movie theater, whatever the case might be. What parents do in moderation, kids take in excess. And that is true here. Solomon pushed the limits on what was possible. Rehoboam's plan was to push the limits even further. Doesn't work out so well in life. Rehoboam is following in his father's footsteps. The people return after three days and Rehoboam goes to them and says, you were scared of dad, you should be scared of me. If you don't work harder, it's not going to be whips that you're going to be afraid of. It's going to be scorpions. How do you think the people responded? Look at verse 16. And when all Israel saw that the king did not listen to them, he did the exact opposite. The people answered the king, what portion do we have in David? We have no inheritance in the son of Jesse. To your tents, O Israel, look now to your own house, David. So Israel went to their own tents. When you lose sight on purpose because you're chasing after potential, you will fall to preference every time. When you lose sight on your calling and instead you think about what could be, all you'll focus on is what you want in the here and now. When Rehoboam responded to the people, they responded with, what's in it for us? Why would we ever follow you in that? 
what is the point of building more and doing more and you marrying more women and how is any of this going to work out in the favor of the people? When you lose purpose, you fall to preference. And the kingdom is divided. Look at verse 17. This is such a significant moment in the history of Israel. We're going to be done here shortly. Let's look at two more verses. Verse 17. Rehoboam reigned over the people of Israel who lived in the cities of Judah. Solomon's son Rehoboam reigned over Judah. Verse 20. And when all the Israelites heard that Jeroboam had returned, they sent and called him to the assembly and made him king over all Israel, all the rest of Israel. Now you have Rehoboam reigning over Judah and you have Jeroboam reigning over the rest of Israel. You have the northern kingdom, you have the southern kingdom and it's split right down the middle. Can I be so bold as suggest when churches lose sight of their purpose, they start to argue about preference. When churches lose sight of their calling, that we are the light of the world, a city set on a hill, salt and light, don't cover it in a bushel. When churches lose sight of their purpose, they start to argue about all the possibilities and potentialities. Churches split because they stop fighting for something and they start fighting against one another. Can I take this a step further and be so bold as to say marriages split because couples stop fighting for something together and they start fighting each other. How many people need to come back to their purpose today and give up all the things that are hanging on them and weighing them down and cluttering their schedule because God is trying to grab their attention? Lamps were meant to give light, not to store stuff. As silly as that is, maybe you'll remember that our purpose is the simple gospel. And a lot of times we clutter it up so that we can't see it with all of our religiosity. Today we need to get back to our calling. Jesus Christ said, let your light so shine before men that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father who is in heaven. That's the simple gospel. You were created for a relationship with God the Father through Jesus Christ. Adam was created and the next thing he did was rest. Do you realize that? Adam was created, God finished creation and rested on the seventh day. The first thing Adam did was rest. Rest in what God had already accomplished. The simple gospel is the fact that Jesus has already done it for you. And you don't have to try and accomplish it for yourself. You don't have to try and reach your potential. You don't have to try and go down every road of possibility. And can I encourage you? The earlier on you nail out what your purpose is, 
the more easy it's going to be for you in the future not to be cluttered up chasing your potential or chasing what is possible. Don't wait until you have life experience. Don't wait until you've sown your wild oats. Don't wait to let life tell you what your purpose should be. Instead, your purpose should drive your life. That's all the time that we have for today. So I'm going to close in prayer, and then we're going to head to the river. Is that exciting? All right, let's pray. Father God, we just want to praise you so much for the opportunity to gather this morning. God, we thank you for the excitement that is in this place, because you are in this place. Because you have invaded hearts and lives. You have cleansed us from sin. Father, if we have turned to you and if we have cried out to you, if we have confessed our sin, if we have turned to your son, then we know that the Bible promises that you save us, you cleanse us from all unrighteousness. You adopt us into your family as sons and daughters. That when God looks at us, he sees the righteousness of his son. God, we thank you so much that our citizenship is in heaven. God, we praise you for the individuals who are being baptized today. God, we thank you for the public declaration of the choice of faith that they have already made. That they have decided to make Jesus their all, their only way, their only truth, and their only life. God, we thank you so much that the gospel is simple and it's all about what Jesus Christ accomplished on the cross for us. God, help us to place our faith and trust in that today. God, if there are any here who have not made that decision, God, help them to know that today is the day of salvation. That there will be people after this service who are ready and wanting and willing to pray with them, to talk with them. Help them just to reach out. God, we thank you so much for this day. We thank you for the baptism. We thank you for the barbecue. We thank you for the excitement of being together, of calling Faith Baptist Church our home. God, we just want to praise you so much for all that you've done. In Jesus' name, amen.